Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Good evening and welcome to Eyewitness News live from our studio here at number 11, Dr. Morton Loop in Adabraka, Accra. My name is Zoe Abubeidu Ado. This evening, I'm here with... Inosafo. Coming up over the next 90 minutes, journalists with Accra FM at the center of the alleged publication of false news and offensive behavior granted a 50,000 cities bail as the court adjourns the case to the 14th of next month. He had been granted bail to sureties. 50,000 Ghana cities. Also coming up, the plea by the Ghana Medical Association to the Ghana Health Service to exempt health workers from the mandatory vaccination exercise as the directive has the potential to reduce the number of doctors in the hospitals. We'll tell you more about their demands shortly. And later on Eyewitness News, Member of Parliament for Asin North, James Jachikwesen, expresses confidence in the judiciary to settle the matter regarding his dual citizenship case prior to the 2020 general elections. I, I cannot actually comment on any matter that is in the courts. But I can tell you I'm in a very high spirit. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and other stories on Eyewitness News. And on business, Minister for Trade and Industry Alan Tromating urges African countries to deepen regional integration to achieve economic transformation. Natalie Nete joins us in the next 50 minutes for more in the world of business. Eyewitness News is live across the country on all our affiliates. Now in the Western region, you can hear us on Premier FM 100.5 in Takrade. If you're in the Bono region, you can hear us on Greener FM 95.9 in Sunyani. Ashanti region, Orange FM 107.9 in Kumasi. Wright FM 90.1 in Somenya, which is in the Eastern region. Holy FM 98.5 in Aflawa, which is in the Volta region. Northern region, you can hear us on Dasuma 99.1 FM in Yendi. In the Upper East region, you can hear us on Word FM 88.3 in Zwarungu. And in the Upper West region, we are on Bugli Radio 88.6 in Wa. You can also hear us around the globe on citynewsroom.com. Your comments are welcome via WhatsApp line 0549-986-996. You can tweet at me at Zoe Abubedu or City973. The hashtag is City Newsroom. And Nusafo has our first story. The Kaneshi District Court has granted bail to the host of the Citizen Show on Accra FM, Kwabna Bubiansa, to the tune of 50,000 CDs with two sureties. The broadcaster was arrested yesterday in connection with an alleged case of publication of false news and offensive conduct. According to the police, Bubiansa's arrest became necessary after he turned down several invitations to him and others to assist with investigations. The case has been adjourned to March 14, 2022. Meanwhile, the police is on a search for three panelists who were on a show on a cry firm on January 11, 2022, where they are alleged to have made some incriminating comments. 
lawyer for Bibianza, Ediji Tamaklo, spoke to the media after court hearings. We just finished the proceedings. He has been granted bail, two sureties, 50,000 Ghana cities, and so we'll start the bail execution process. So basically that's what happened. From the, uh, the facts produced by the prosecution, they are saying that there had been a story done by him and three others that the producers of the show and the borders on the first lady and the second lady. Incidentally, on these two charges, these two individuals are not named as the complainants. So our question is, is it that the police just stood up and started investigating or somebody came to them that they should investigate this matter? Who exactly came to the police to investigate this matter? We want to know. Is it the first lady? Because from the facts, if somebody lies about you or against you, or against your person. You are entitled to sue the person for defamation. And what is even more worrying with these charges is that I still remember the arguments made by lawyer Nanado Dankwe Kufado in the Republic versus Tommy Thompson. The argument made by now president when he was then defense attorney. What is exactly what is happening now? So as brothers and thankfully all of you here are media men. It is always possible to get a story wrong. It is possible. And that is why there are civil remedies when you get a story wrong and that story injures their reputation. Are we to take it that the Ghana police is now becoming the tool for the first and second family, I mean first lady, to remedy a reputation they claim has been injured? If we get to that point in our democracy, then we are going to destroy reputable institutions like Ghana Police. IGP Dampare, with the greatest respect to you, withdraw these charges and do yourself good. Because it is damaging. Look at the facts that you presented to court. It is damaging to the Ghana Police Service. Is it the first lady that came to you to do a complaint? Is it Samira that came to you to do a complaint? Because what you have succeeded in doing is to put these two ladies in the line of fire. Lawyer Adiji Tamaklo is lawyer for Kwabinabu Biansa who has been granted a 50,000 Ghana cities bail. Let's go over the phone lines and speak to another lawyer, um, Victor Adaudu, who is one of the lawyers for Kwabinabu Biansa. Good evening, sir. Ha- has your client satisfied or have you, has he satisfied all the bail conditions? Yeah, good evening. And good evening to your terrorist listeners. Was- yes, uh, yes, um, Mr. Bobier Ansa has satisfied the bill requirements and uh, he's gone home now. How is he doing? Well, I think he's in good spirits and we are grateful that the court, after listening and weighing the facts and others, uh, has granted us bill and looking at the fact and what is was happening in the country and everything, looking at it, and whilst he was doing his line, uh, in the line of his business, and there's these issues that have popped up. I think that um, we would, the, the persecution would have to prove beyond reasonable doubt that what was actually done was done with intent to likely breach the peace of this country. Um, we think that 
it is contrary to what has been presented. Um, uh, Mr. Bobier has been there. He was arrested since yesterday until today. And we've been granted bail. We are grateful for everything that has happened. What has he been telling you? What actually happened? How, how did his arrest happen? I, I think that the, the whole issue, the fact of the matter, which uh, I don't want to be seen to be doing a media trial, but the fact that even is in connection with uh, some lands around the aviation lands, that um, there had been an allegation. I think in the past years that it was being sold or allocated by the Lands Commission um, to government officials and top uh, party hierarchies. So there was a signpost on the land, and the signpost read the Baker Foundation, where it was a site for, which was believed to be part of the adjacent land. So it was just to inquire that is it true that that part of the land has been given to the foundation? I believe that that is what the police have said, that uh, they said they have fraudulently acquired land or has granted land to themselves. But I think that um, they have the honors to prove that there's yes, the unreasonable doubt that indeed they did that with malice and likely to do. So those, that is the fact of the matter. Have you listened to the set tape, Mr. Daudu? I'm here to examine the tape properly. So this account you are giving to us is based on what your client told you. You haven't heard the tape that is circulating or what the police is basing their, their facts I, on. Yeah. Do you trust all tapes that, the tapes that are coming, coming from the proper custody? This was live yeah, on your Facebook page. So... so so the the issue the issue is that what is circulating on Facebook is not what actually um, is before the court. It is what will be put before the court is what will be examined. So I can't just go to social media and Facebook and say that is what is actually happening. It doesn't happen normally that way. You go to court, the actual thing is brought to court. So I'm here to see it, and when it comes to court. We will analyze it and look at it. Who is the complainant in this matter? Have you been told? No, no, we've not been told. It is, that's what I'm telling you, that the police, in their facts, are saying that report. There was a report reaching them from social media. The social media that the first and second lady have uh, granted land to themselves. So we've not been told anybody. All they're saying is that they've got reports from social media. That's what I'm saying, that what social media, which social media, is it a full tape, is it a full program, or just part that has been edited? We have seen several of that. I can give you an example of a case in which I did Omani uh, Ohini Babuama. They brought a three-minute social media video when the program lasted for three hours. So it is always good to hasten slowly to see the actual thing, then you can speak to that. Mm. All right. So um, are you in the known whether your client will be on air this evening? I, I think that my client should always do his job. 
uh, there's nothing that bars him from doing his work. He has in, in line of his duty, his uh, ethics, and uh, I'm sure the code of conduct. And if he would do his work, why not? There's nothing buying him from doing his work. So the fact that uh, you've been, the allegations that you've done ABC, it doesn't stop you from exercising your right. He has a right to work. Uh, so he'll continue to work. When are you next in court? I think we are going back in March. I think March 14th. Thank you very much, sir. It's a pleasure. Victor Adaudu is one of the lawyers for um, journalists with Accra FM, Kwabna Bobie answer now this morning some of um, some supporters or listeners listeners of his show thronged the police station demanding his release let's hear some of them when they got to the police station I'm here basically to um, to show solidarity towards our brother Bobby Ansa and to the entire media fraternity because we see this act as um, something that is against you know freedom of speech, that is against the media, that is against journalism, that is against every citizen of this country who hopes to have a voice and also hopes to have his or her voice heard. If we think that uh, anybody has said anything against any individual, the belief and the law is that you process the person, you know, you, you go to court, you ask that the judge intervenes. If whatever civil procedures are in place, you, you um, activate those procedures. That is our expectation. We don't expect that you criminalize speech or freedom of speech in this country. It is a cake. It is so out of place. And we are surprised that under uh, a person, a persona, a lawyer of um, of high, you know, high status like Kufuado, we are reversing towards the 1980s. It's very unfortunate, and we pray that we do not see this, you know, progress from where it is. Already, we've seen Ahmed Swale lose his life. Up till now, investigation conducted, nothing credible has come out of, you know, his death, and it's still his death is still lingering on, unattended to injustice all over the place. Just recently, today, ASEPA was just, you know, granted bail as well. It's very unfortunate. We have had Captain uh, Smart, who was even granted bail, but the National Security refused to activate the bill. And we are living in a state of impunity, and I think that it is high time His Excellency Ekufuado takes the bull by the horn and be honest with the people of this country. When he came to us to, and asking and begging the people of this country to try him, he didn't say that he was going to lord himself and his ideas and his views over the people of this country. We, also, we are also independent-minded people. And we think that when he does things or his allies do things that are wrong, we have the authority and right to speak against him. That should not land us where we are today. It's an unfortunate situation. I've been around a single case since yesterday night. One of the most prominent citizens of this country, one of the most prominent journalists of this country, was arrested by men who were unknown to the Ghana police or any state agency. They were in plain clothes. He was whisked away from his station to uh, Cantonese police station, and we met him at Nima police station. We spent the night there with him at Nima police station till dawn when he was taken through a very high-speed chase to the... Um, striking force and then now to court. I would want to believe that the police should be above this. Personally, I would not allow anybody who is not uniformed with a tag coming during the daytime to arrest me. I'll consider you an armed robber.
And I think every Ghanaian must do the same. Because if you allow yourself to be abducted and killed, which is real, it will be your own fault. I have worked with Bobie. I mean, if you remember when I sent past started, I was together with Bobie, and that's why I'm surprised. John Bodu should remember that. Samuel Oku should remember that. We're on that platform when Bobie came to Accra to settle. And so, one, if not for freedom, freedom of the press, like people like you, he has been a personal friend. But again, to be able to allow you as journalists to function, it might not be baby here today. It could be you, and I'll be here. And the leadership of my party will be here too. So that I can assure you that even if it's you, will come. Now, I don't want to surprise Did you see the charges? Did you see it? That he's been for accusing Madame. I have seen a signboard that the woman has bought the land. Let me ask her, who is for the land? She should go and bring documents to tell us that it's not her foundation. Let, let's know about it. So you had there some journalists and supporters um, who thronged the police station um, and the courts um, to solidarize with Accra FM presenter Kwabna Bubie Ansa. We'll return with more stories on, on this particular um, developing um, story. We'll speak to the Media Foundation for West Africa when we return. But don't forget to get interactive with us. Um, our WhatsApp line is 0549-986-996. You can also tweet at me at Zoe Abubedu or at CT973. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You all come back. This is 97.3 CTFM Eyewitness News. My name is Zoe Abubedu Adu, and I'm here with Eno. Safo. We are bringing you a story on the arrest and um, of Accra FM journalist Kwabna Bobie Ansan, who has subsequently um, been granted bail. Um, we just spoke to his lawyer who says um, he's in good or high spirits and um, hopefully he um, hosts his show this evening. We'll stay more on this and speak to the Executive Director for the Media Foundation for West Africa, Suleimana Braima. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Zoe. Now, we've had quite a number of um, journalists being picked up within the last few weeks, um, I must say, and it's being a source of worry or concern um, for many. Do you buy into the narrative that the media um, is being silenced or targeted? Well, I think that what we are experiencing is the result of um, what I would describe as a toxic mixture of three key elements. And for me, these elements are one, a rising state of um, unprofessional, reckless conduct in the media and by some media organizations. Number two, the absence of a regulatory mechanism, a proper regulatory mechanism 
that befits the democratic endeavor that we have embarked upon, and also the fact that existing institutions have become dormant and to a large extent inefficient. And the third point that adds to this too is a growing culture of intolerance on the part of the current government uh, as far as critical commentary and critical speech is concerned. I think it is the mixture of these three that is giving rise to what we are witnessing. And to that extent, you can say that if you are looking at the last point I mentioned, it would be right for one to conclude that there is an attempt to stifle critical media or press freedom. But those who would also want to look at it from the first point would say there is a growing trend of uh, irresponsible, reckless, unprofessional conduct um, on media platforms. And it appears as a country we are helpless as as to how do we regulate this in a democratic way, in a way that respects the rights and freedoms of the media and people, but at the same time, also make sure that the media are held accountable for what they do. So how do we remedy the situation when it comes to the issue having um, to do with journalists who are being irresponsible and reckless in their states or with their statements? Well, uh, unfortunately, over the years, we have allowed ourselves to get into a very deep hole in terms of media regulation. In fact, just three months after the coming into existence of our current constitution, and I mean in around April 1993, there was a seminar to discuss how independent broadcasting should operate in our country. And at the time, the late Justice Afre, you know, writing on the legal framework that, that would be required to ensure sanity on our airways, pointed out that even as the Constitution grants elaborate um, freedoms for the media, it will be critical, and in fact, he said, it is inevitable for some regulatory mechanism to be in place to regulate how broadcasting should be done in our country. Now, over 30 years now, as a country, we have failed to bring to being a, a, a broadcasting legislation. Now, we are depending on the NCA and the NMC. As we know, the NCA is a highly partisan institution under the direct control and command of the executive. By law, they are supposed to comply with every directive by the minister, the sector minister. We know the NMC has over over the years said, well, we are powerless, we don't have the resources. But I think that they could do far better than they are doing. And so these institutions, as we lack a regulatory framework, need to up their game and in doing so must do it professionally, equitably, and fairly. I think media organizations also must recognize that they have a responsibility. Freedom of the media and freedom of the press is not about freedom to be reckless and freedom to abuse. And I think it is important that media owners, editors, media managers begin to instill some sense of professionalism and discipline among persons who practice directly and those who appear on platforms to engage in public commentary. The last point is that I think the government of the day 
needs to be more tolerant. Because this is, it, it is not as if we have just passed a law about false, false publication in our country. This law has been in existence, I mean, over the years, I believe since 1960. So even as we've repealed criminal libel law, the law still existed. We never saw the, 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 the Kufour government apply the law in the manner in which it is being applied today. We never saw the Mills government do so. We never saw the Mahama government doing so. So it is quite surprising that we have a government today that all of a sudden appears to have realized that, oh, there is a particular law that can be used almost in a similar fashion as the criminal libel law could be used. And, you know, today this person is picked, the next day this person is arrested. And I believe that that is even causing a lot more tension in the country than perhaps whatever they think the people may have done that may give rise to fear and panic. And so these, for me, are the observations and the, the kinds of steps that we need to take to improve the situation. So what should be the response or approach of people in power um, I mean, when they feel defamed? No, I mean, Zoe, if you feel defamed, you, you, you have to, I mean, there is the court avenue that you can use. Um, there is also the National Media Commission Avenue. You can apply to the Media Commission for you know, settlement of a matter that you are not happy about. You can write a rejoinder, and by the Constitution, every media organization that receives a rejoinder is required by law to publish the rejoinder. And as I said, I mean, to the highest of it, you can decide to file a defamation case. And we have we've seen several cases of defamation being filed. So if somebody has said something against the first lady and it is, I mean, defamatory, it is untrue, what prevents the first lady from going to court against that person? But what we are seeing is almost tantamount to, you know, reintroducing the criminal libel law. But having said that, there is no way or justification for endorsing uh, reckless conduct you know, false publication, defamatory publications, and so on and so forth. But media organizations and persons who do so should know that they can be held accountable and they can be held responsible. And there's a way to go about about it rather than deploying plain clothes, uh, security personnel, storming a radio station in a rainbow style. I think you are very familiar with it. I, I believe you have that experience. And I don't think that we are in a country that befits what we are witnessing. I think increasingly we have a government that is becoming despotic rather than democratic. And that is extremely unhelpful. Based on the trends of, I mean, the series of arrests that we're seeing, is this something that, uh, I mean, pay your research is, is, is going to end soon? Well, I mean, when, I when you that... look at the trends, when you look at the trends of um, journalists being um, arrested or attacked, is this something that is going down or there's an increase? No, certainly there is an increase. In fact, for the, very, for the first term of this government, we had recorded 64 different incidents of media violation or incidents of, you know, press freedom violation. And these 64 sometimes involved different, I mean, multiple journalists. So you can have one in, instance where three or four journalists are either arbitrarily arrested or equipment seized or brutalized and so on and so forth. You, you compare that to 56 incidents in the four years of uh, President Kufour, 44 in the four years of President Mahama, 
and certainly that is that is a right. And again, it is not just the number of incidents that matter. The gravity of the violations also matter. And in, under this government, we have seen the deployment of national security operatives storming modern, modern Ghana officers. We have seen a similar incident involving uh, your station, CTFM, CTTV. We've had the incident in Asan Gregoire where national security operatives beat a journalist, uh, Peter Taburi, almost to his death. And we have had other countless incidents involving police officers. There is a recent one in Takradi. The point is that if a journalist is even uh, at fault or a journalist violates their code of conduct or the way they must conduct themselves, it is never justified for a security person, a police or national security person, to beat up or, you know, manhandle um, such a person. To arrest a person is normal. You know, people, journalists are not above the law. But this Rambo-style storming media houses in black SUVs, picking people, I think it is not different from, you know, the crisis that we are witnessing in Guinea-Bissau currently, where a radio station is stormed, you know, vandalized, and so on. And you notice that over time, because of this culture, individuals and organized groups also feel it is legitimate, it is okay to attack a media house. So we saw what happened in Radio Ada, uh, or what happened to Radio Ada in January. A station was completely vandalized, equipment destroyed. If the trend continues, people would feel it is okay to abuse journalists, to abuse media organizations, because when you do it, there is a growing culture of impunity and nothing will happen to you. The way to reverse the trend is for us to begin to see a government that is more tolerant, a government that is prepared to investigate and prosecute persons who violate the rights of journalists and make, I mean, make it quite clear that, look, the constitutional guarantees for press freedom is something that the government of the day is willing and able to guarantee and protect. While doing so, we as journalists must also admit that we commit excesses some of the, I mean, sometimes, and we need to correct ourselves. We need to be sober. We need to remedy whatever um, wrongs we commit when our attention is drawn to it. Because at the end of the day, in fact, the best protection comes from the people whose confidence and trust we must have. And we can only have that if we are professional and we act in ways that serve the interests of the masses. Thank you very much, Suleiman Abraima. Suleiman Abraima is the executive director of the Media Foundation for West Africa. I will still stay on this issue. Former President John Dramani Mahama has been um, writing about this in a very lengthy post. Um, I have seen on Facebook my colleague Hansen Ajiman is here to give us excerpts of what the former president has been saying with regards to this matter. Good evening, Hansen. Good evening, Zoe. What has the former president been saying with regards to the arrest of and the journalist at Accra FM. So the former president concludes that there's criminalization of speech and journalism in Ghana um, under the watch of uh, President Aneku Fado, and he makes five key examples to back this point. Mm. The very first one being the killing of an investigative journalist who worked uh, with Anas Army or Anas. And 
it is a point of the uh, former president and in part of this particular open letter he says the police have virtually shelved the investigations into this brutal murder then he goes ahead to indicate that there have been harassment of journalists in the line of their duties and then they've been um close closure of uh, media houses um under the instructions of the president and he goes then to highlight uh, some four arrests or um, sanctions that have been given to journalists in the past two weeks and the very first one that he touches on is that uh, with respect to um, Captain Smart and he indicated that um, radio and TV presenter Captain Smart was dragged from court and although he had been granted bail sent into detention then he moves into Ohinebe's case where he says another radio presenter Ohinebe Buama Bene has been incarcerated for statements he allegedly made. A civil society activist was arrested, detained, sent to court on criminal charges, granted bail, and yet detained again for making a statement against you, President Kufuado. And then he uh, backs his point with uh, Bobi Ansan's issue, where he says Bobi Ansan has been arrested, detained, and charged, criminalized for speaking and making allegations against your wife. That's uh, President Ronald Dankwe Kufado. Rebecca Kufado. Uh, sorry, uh, the wife of President Kufado, Rebecca Kufado. Now, after making these points, the former president goes ahead to suggest to the president that um, even though there might be some wrongs with what the journalists are doing, in his view, these are more civil cases than criminal cases. So, President Kufado, you cannot continue to oppress the people. Criminalized speech when these matters are essentially civil in nature, if you feel offended by them. Then he goes ahead to make an observation where in his thinking, um, senior members and many of our clergy and other moral leaders who are scared because of the oppressive and dictatorial regime are running, have remained, uh, dictatorial regime, according to him, the president is running, have remained quiet in the face of this disturbing development and in our maturing democracy he concludes this open uh, letter this open letter by um, what seems to be an appeal to the senses of the president and in suggestion that what the president is doing uh, might have an impact on his legacy so the exact paragraphs that make this point this is a dangerous blueprint you are fashioning for our dear nation and it must not be encouraged your actions as president have totally discredited your self-acquired accolade as a human rights lawyer and activist. Ghana has long emerged from the unfortunate past where journalists were cowed by incarceration and brutalization. I fear that if you do not take immediate action to arrest this unfortunate trend when you exit the high office of president in January 2025, freedom of speech and a free media will certainly not be counted as part of the legacy you have left behind or you leave behind. So uh, this is from uh, John Dramani Mahama, former president, um, to President Kufado, which he ends by saying, your brother, John Dramani <laughs> Mahama. Okay, so he's referring 
to um, himself as a brother of, of the, the president. president. All right, thank you very much. Um, that was Hansen Ajiman bringing us excerpts of um, a statement um, put on the Facebook wall of former President John Dramani Mahama. Stay with 97.3 CTFM. This is still Eyewitness News. Still ahead, we'll be speaking to the Ghana Medical Association, who is asking the Ghana Health Service to exempt health workers from the mandatory vaccination exercise. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You welcome back to Eyewitness News. My name is Zoe Abubedu Adon. I'm here with Enno Safo. Let's move on to some other stories now. The Ghana Medical Association is urging the Ghana Health Service to, as a matter of urgency, withdraw the compulsory vaccination mandate issued health workers. The association believes that although the directive may be well intended, it will affect healthcare delivery in the country as it will further reduce the number of doctors who provide care in the hospitals. Dr. Justice Youngson is the vice president of the Ghana Medical Association. And before I speak to him, I'll go through um, the statement um, that has been issued by the association. It says that the GMA or the Ghana Medical Association's position on COVID-19 vaccine the Ghana Medical Association has noted a debate on COVID-19 vaccine mandate in Ghana. The association, after careful consideration of the subject matter, hereby states its position as follows. Based on the current data on effectiveness and safety of the COVID-19 vaccines approved for use in Ghana, the vaccines are safe and efficacious in helping combat the COVID-19 pandemic. While vaccines are generally safe and effective, persons who take the vaccines may suffer some side effects as it may as it may be the case with already existing vaccines that may that have been used for decades. The GMA fully supports the COVID-19 vaccination rollout and affirms that assigned people who are excluded for medical reasons, every person living in Ghana should be encouraged to get vaccinated. Let me go to the proposals that the GMA um, wants to be done. It says that the Ghana, the Ghana Health Service should partner with Media Houses, National Commission on Civic Education, civil society organizations, religious bodies, traditional authorities, and to ramp up public education on the need for COVID-19 vaccination, especially in local languages. Let's now speak to Dr. Justice Youngson, who is the Vice President of the Ghana Medical Association. Good evening, sir. Before we get into the substantive matter, how is the COVID situation now? now there was a surge in December. What do the numbers look like now? Well, I think by and large, uh, we are seeing a downward trend. So if we all should keep to the protocols, get ourselves vaccinated, uh, hopefully we should be out of the woods rather than probably we all were expecting. Mm. All right. So um, now with regards to your recommendations in your statement, you want the Ghana Health Service uh, to withdraw their mandate issued to health workers who have not been vaccinated. When was this mandate given? Well, at the facility level, you know, because uh, it's a service that we have some internal ways of communication that are delivered one I mean, as and when necessary, at some point in time, some of these uh, internal, you know, directives were seen, which basically amounted to some form of uh, mandate as far as the health workers were concerned. 
and uh, that is what we are actually also proposing alternatives because we we believe that uh, if there is any directive that includes threat of job losses, that will be inimical to the service. As it stands now, we have colleagues of ours who are down at one point in time with COVID, and that actually puts extra strain on all of us. We are not only dealing with COVID, we are also handling all the other cases that existed before the advent of COVID. So already we all know that the doctor-patient ratio is nothing good as far as international standards are concerned if we are to compare what we have to what pertains uh, internationally. So once we came across all those bits, we've deliberated amongst ourselves, and then we've come to the conclusion that instead of, you know, such mandates and the associated potential job losses, as we saw in that communication, it would be better that health workers who are unvaccinated are made to produce evidence of a negative COVID-19 test. This will keep all of us safe. We believe that everybody should get vaccinated, but if for some reason somebody hasn't been vaccinated, then of course, to eliminate the risk, it will be better for that person to be made to produce evidence of a negative COVID-19 test. And this will not be unique to this country. On, uh, I mean, Ghana, but uh, other countries the world over are also practicing same within their health systems, which we believe is a better alternative to potential job loss, especially looking at the kind of economic conditions we all find ourselves in at this moment. You are advocating and encouraging Ghanaians to take the vaccines. Why? Is there a problem with doctors taking it as well? Do you, from your narrative, do, do I get the sense that um, some doctors are completely against taking the, the vaccines? No. As far as the Ghana Medical Association is concerned, we have issued official statements at all times, including the same document, advocating that people should actually take the vaccines. The vaccines are safe, they're efficacious, and we have seen that they have protected all of us one way or the other, and people who have fallen sick along the line against the very severe and critical forms of the disease. It has reduced the disease burden in terms of death and what have you. So we are all for it. But what we are saying is that it is a society. Individual health workers, and here we said health workers, not doctors only. There are different levels of health workers in terms of training, in terms of specialization, a cadre of staff and all that. We are not thinking about only doctors. So what we are saying is that if somebody, for example, I mean, assuming without admitting that somebody on, say, religious ground has not taken a vaccine or on medical ground has not been vaccinated, because we stated in our document clearly that everybody should get vaccinated except those who are excluded on medical ground. And if you have people within the health service who may also be excluded within the system as a result of the medical ground. So what we are saying is that for whatever reason, if somebody has not 
vaccinated. One, don't push it to the point where you are going to kick the person out of job. Mm. But rather, do the alternative. You also remember that as part of the statement you read, we also said that um, as a matter of agency, the Ministry of Health and its agency, so that will include the Ghana Health and the teaching hospitals and all that, to also seek out health workers who may have some concerns and address them directly and encourage those who are yet to vaccinate to do so. So the Ghana Health Service so, or the ministry and its agencies didn't give room for exemptions? We are not saying that they didn't give room for exemptions. That's what we said. Aside those who are to be exempted on medical grounds. You know, when the vaccines came at some point, it was not to be given to, say, pregnant women. If a health worker was pregnant at that time, you could not give. Fast forward, we've gotten to a point where that has been, in quote, dealt with because of the sort of data available and information available when it comes to particular kinds of the vaccine. So now those ones are being recommended. So it is an ongoing process. So we are not saying that the ministry did not give any room for exemption. But all we are saying is that seek out for these health workers, talk to them, know their concerns, because you are the employer. You see, we should not let the workplace environment be devoid of the traditional relationship between employer and employee. You also will need to look after the interest of the employee. For us in the health service, it's become a unique situation for all of us. But we believe that if we are to go out there, seek out these health workers, engage them properly, and then understand their difficulties, deal with them, and also address them as and when they come up, as well as also encouraging those who are yet to even vaccinate to get the necessary vaccination. What we are seeing is specific to health workers, but in the broader context, you will see in this statement that we have said that we support the current vaccination rollout program and we are urging all persons to get vaccinated. At the same time, we've even stated that these vaccines should get to the doorstep of the people. There should be intensified education, especially using our local languages, at the very doorsteps of the citizens of the country. So what we are actually advocating for the people of Ghana generally, we are also doing the same for the health workers. So that is the context within which uh, we have made these proposals and recommendations. Grateful for your time, Dr. Justice Yangsin. Dr. Justice Yangsin yes. is the Vice President of the Ghana Medical Association. Let's bring you some more stories now. The Member of Parliament for Asin North, James Jachikwesen, has expressed utmost faith in the country's judicial system to unravel the truth regarding his citizenship and the 2020 election. The embattled MP has been the subject of court action with the issuance of criminal summons against him in the course of the week. He is facing charges of deceit of public office, forgery of passports or travel certificates, knowingly making a false statutory declaration, perjury and false declaration of office. He spoke to the press and parliament. Security officials allegedly stopped him last night ostensibly to serve you with a criminal summons. Are you in high spirit? Have you been served? I, I cannot actually comment on any matter that is in the courts. 
but I can tell you I'm in a very high spirit. Yeah. An innocent person has nothing to fear. That's all I can say. But, but then, did you, did you, did you throw out the bailiff who came to your house? No. That you, no your bodyguard, your bodyguard threw them. I just said to you, I can't go beyond that. Mm. But do you feel persecuted? I cannot. No, 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 no. Yeah, all I'll say to you at this point, as you are all aware, this matter is in court. I believe and trust in the judicial system because that's the way for people to measure their innocence. You trust the system, but you are evading service. No, no, no. no. You've, been, you've been moving no, away, no, no, you're no, dodging no. the police. I think, I think, I think you, are, you are making up your story. Uh, all I'll say to you is that I am not going to go into any extent to own up any information to you. All I'll say to you is that Mothers are in court and leave the courts to do their work. But I very service. Will you avail yourself? Will you avail yourself for service or have you been sent? I cannot comment any further. All I'll say to you that I'm I'm conducting my parliamentary duties and that's all I can say. How is this affecting your delivery on the ground, sir? Thank you guys. Thank you. Do you have any word for your constituents? Uh no, I I I I they know what I'm doing here. My constituents speak for themselves. Okay. Okay, so let's let's not ambush this discussion here. Is this affecting Come to me at the come to me at the appropriate time and I'll give you the best of my knowledge. You heard the Member of Parliament for Asin North, James Jachi Kwesin. Away from that, the Coalition of Transport Operators is questioning the continuous postponement of their intended meeting with government on their decision to increase transport fares up to 30%. Government has on two occasions rescheduled their meeting with the transport operators, indicating that some stakeholders, including the Ghana Transport Coordinating Council, are yet to receive copies of documents detailing their decision to increase the fares. The operators say the meeting with the government is to formally seek their input to their proposed 30% increment. The public relations officer of the Concerned Drivers Association and a representative of the Coalition of Transport Operators, David Aguado, spoke to City News. The meeting uh, has been rescheduled again to Monday. The reason being that there's a Ghana Transport Coordinating Council. Yes, it is, uh, they haven't been finished with some of the copies, so they also haven't got, unless they go through before we meet, they postpone it to Monday. Oh, it's very, very worried, very, very worried. Uh, that drivers as we are, we will still hold our patience and wait for Monday. We are thinking they are using the TRCCC to delay it. They can't watch me. After Monday, we will surely announce. We... Announcing the fair is not a problem to us because we don't have any sitting with minister before we announce our transport fair. But it's very good that we tell them. Because you see, when we say we are going to strike, police is under Minister of Interior. But that very day, police were the people that were transporting the passengers to their various places. So we, we did it right to tell them, for them to be aware. Whether Monday they agree or not, you'll hear from we the drivers. That was the Public Relations Officer of the Concerned Drivers Association and a representative of the Coalition of Transport Operators, David Aguado. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News and Eyewitness News brought to you by Vodafone and powered by citybusinessnews.com. 
My name is Natalie Nett. Let's settle for the details. Minister of Trade and Industry Alan Tremarting has reiterated calls for African countries to deepen regional integration to scale up supply capacity and build regional value chains. According to him, this is essential to the continent's economic transformation. Speaking at the launch of a World Bank publication titled The Africa in the New Trade Environment, Market Access in Troubled Times, Alan Tremarting also assured the private sector that governments will keep implementing the right policies to ensure growth. Whilst we are focusing on the trade, the new trade environment in Africa, we have to ensure that this is backed by a new agenda for industrialization on the continent. And that is why, as a government, we have embarked on a very comprehensive and aggressive program for industrial transformation. The third thing I'd like to draw attention to is the use of regional value chains. So what AFTA does is to help us as African countries to enhance our level of intra-African trade. But what we need to do is to use the intra-African trade as the basis for enhancing our trade in the global market. And we can only do that through regional value chains. And I hope that in dissecting and analyzing the study and the book that will try and then ensure that some of these elements that I'm raising will become the subject of our discussions. That was the Minister of Trade and Industry, Alan Tremartin. The International Monetary Fund, IMF, has indicated that Ghana is yet to request for a financial program with the institution. This comes on the back of calls by some stakeholders for Ghana to seek out a bailout from the IMF to address its current economic challenges. In a response to a question during a press briefing yesterday on whether or not Ghana is seeking a program with the IMF, Director of Communications at the Britain Woods Institution, Jerry Rice, clarified that even though they are monitoring the recovery program in the country, no request for a program has been made. Uh, Ghana, what I can tell you is that... Um of course, we've been maintaining a, a close policy, uh, technical uh, assistance dialogue with the, uh, with the Ghanaian authorities. We are, of course, as always, uh, monitoring the uh, economic uh, recovery there uh, in, in Ghana. We uh, highlighted in our Article 4 uh, consultation uh, last year that uh, a deeper, more equitable uh, fiscal effort is needed in our view, and the proposed 2022 budget, we think, uh, announced uh, a 20% uh, spending cut to go uh, into that, uh, that direction. On your specific question, Matthew, the Ghanaian authorities have not uh, requested a financial program with the IMF, but uh, again, as I said, in the context of another country, we stand ready to support Ghana in any way deemed useful by the authorities. But again, just to be clear and answer your question, Ghanaian authorities have not uh, requested a financial program uh, with the IMF. That was the Director of Communications at the International Monetary Fund, Jerry Rice. The Indian High Commissioner to Ghana, Sugan Rajam, has stated that his government is much interested in investing and developing a strong partnership with Ghana and the Bono East region. His Excellency, his, his Excellency Sugan Rajdam made this known during a four-day tour of the region. Our Bono East regional correspondent Michael Chachu Aholu has more in the following report. 
In a quest to speed up developments in key sectors within the Bono East region, the Bono East Regional Minister Kwesi Dujan has invited the Indian High Commissioner to Ghana, Sugand Rajaram, on a four-day tour of the region in hopes of striking strategic partnerships and securing investment opportunities from India. The Deputy Minister for Local Government and Rural Development, Masanejay Mensakosa, lauded the initiative and stated that the relationship between the two countries will open a new chapter for development in the Bono East region. We are discussing a strengthening relationship between Bono East and India. And I believe that this will open up new ways or new grounds for us to pursue uh, developmental focus. We are happy for this fruitful collaboration, especially at this time of the region where this relationship is needed most. And the youth of this region, just as Ghana needs jobs, businesses need support, there's a need for technological transfer to revamp. And so there's a lot of areas that I believe we are going to benefit from. The four-day tour, which began on the 7th of February 2022, focuses on the agricultural, agro-processing, education, and tourism sectors of the region. While addressing the Tishiman House of Chiefs in Hensuya, His Excellency Sugand Rajaram emphasized the good relationship that exists between Ghana and India and stated that his government will look at ways to partner and assist in the developmental needs of the Bono East region. I'd like to encourage various authorities in this region, be it political, business, sociocultural, health educational, to see how we can bring our two countries together. We'll be very happy to work on such proposals, inputs and feedback to see that India comes to the assistance for the developmental needs of this region. Michael Chachu Aholu filed that report from the Bono East region. Chief Executive Officer of the Driver and Vehicle Licensing Authority, DVLA, Kwesi Ajiman Buzia, says an exercise has begun which will help detect and correct inaccurate records in the authority's databases. The DVLA has in recent times embarked on a digitization drive which has seen its integrating and sharing its data with the National Insurance Commission, the National Road Safety Commission, the Judicial Service and the Ghana Revenue Authority. Mr. Buzia, who spoke at the opening of the newly built office complex of the DVL in Nubuasi in the Ashanti region, mentioned that his outfit was actively leveraging technology to enhance its operations. There's more in this report. According to the DVLA, the benefits of such data-centric collaboration was the linchpin of its anticipated Vehicle 360 ecosystem. Mr. Ajman Buzia explains that the DVLA was in close collaboration with key stakeholders to protect the environment and also reduce the space of road accidents on Ghana's roads. We have begun the exercise of detecting and corrupting inaccurate records in our databases. And we are integrating and sharing these data with our stakeholders, such as NIC, NRSA, GRA, MTTD, and the Judicial Services. With accurate information from the Judicial Services, as an example, we intend to step up the suspension and revocation of licenses of habitually ill-performing drivers. On the vehicle side of our mandate, we are in collaboration with EPA, 
the Attorney General, GSA, in the implementation of standards to regulate carbon emission in all vehicles as part of our vehicle testing regime. He asked that the vehicle registration system, which is expected to be up and running soon, will ensure efficiency and prevent leakages in the system. We will also complete our online vehicle registration system, ensuring a more efficient and speedier vehicle registration regimen, thereby reducing the average registration timeline to about an hour and creating an opportunity to restrain leakages. That was the Chief Executive Officer of the Driver and Vehicle Licensing Authority, Kwesia Jimanbuzia, ending that report, filed by Hafiz Tijani. And finally, government says as part of efforts to fulfill the one district, one factory promise before the end of the Akufuadu-led government's second term, it is committed to partnering with the private sector to build enterprises in all 260 districts across the country. The government believes this will help create jobs for the many unemployed youth in the country. Deputy Minister for Trade and Industry Michael Otribefi revealed this at the launch of the Ashanti Regional Branch for Zonda Tech Ghana Limited, one of the industries under the One District, Fa one, District one Factory Initiative. The opening of the Zonda Tech Branch in the Ashanti region underscores the confidence that the private sector has in the business environment to expand their operations and take advantage of the ever-increasing market size and demand. I wish to underscore the fact that the expertise of Zodatec Ghana Limited, the reputation of the durable trucks market know-how and timely delivery of service to meet the requirements of its customers has positioned the company as a major competitor in the transport construction mining and related sectors within the economy. The Ejusu branch is expected to create direct employment for 45 people with indirect job estimated at about 100. That was the Deputy Minister for Trade and Industry, Michael Watribefi. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was brought to you by Vodafone and powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netilinete. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. This is the Point Blank segment. Tonight, we bring you accepts of sitting of the Public Accounts Committee. The committee has a mandate to examine the audited accounts presented to Parliament by the Auditor General.
Before the committee today was the Ministry of Information, the Judicial Service and also the Chief Executive Officer for the National Health Insurance Authority. The Minister for Information, Kojo Ponkuma, and some directors appeared to respond to critical questions. Here are excerpts. All right, so, Honorable Minister, your ministry was cited in 2018 reports of the Auditor General. So, from paragraph 553 of the report, Honorable Kennedy thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, Honorable Minister, the Auditor General in 2018 cited <coughs> your ministry uh, for an unaccounted amount of 23,280 Ghana City. Per the regulation 111 of the Financial Administration Regulation 204 uh, says that a head of department who is an administrating authority in a class of advances shall keep accounts at the departmental headquarters that shows all advances and recoveries made. Per the report, Per the Auditor General report, it is clear that 23,280 were given to six officers between November 20, between July 2016 and November 2017. Can you tell the committee what your ministry has done with this matter? Chairman, thank you. Chairman, as the Honorable Member rightly mentioned, the matter is at the departmental headquarters. Uh, with your indulgence, I would like the head of the department, the director of the ISD, to respond to the specific matter. Okay. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairman. So, when this came up, we wrote to the people involved, that is the six people you referred to, and as is captured in the Auditor General's report. Two people replied and denied. Um, the then director of the Information Department, that is Ifwa Isel, at the time that we were bringing this report, we hadn't received any reply from her. There was a name indicated in the report only as Amwa, so there was no detailed information as to who the Amwa is. Then also one other person, Ebenezer Sare, we wrote to, but we didn't receive any information from him. Apparently, he has traveled outside the country. Um, there was one other person, that is the then accountant, that's the one William Saba. Unfortunately, he passed away around the very time this was being carried out. So as management who took over from the then management, we took the initiative to freeze the accounts of the accountant who unfortunately passed on. In addition, we wanted further information because as new management who are taking over from the then management, we didn't have much information. So we wrote to the auditors 
asking for further explanation, further background as to how they were able to arrive at that. So, Mr. Chairman, that is how far we have come with this. Are you saying that this amount that we're giving to these six people, you did not have any detailed records as to who uh, took what and at what time? Because from your response, you stated it clearly that you were even denied of taking such amount. Is that correct? Yes. Sorry. Yes, Mr. Chairman. And with those two that denied that their name were captured in the auditor's general report, did the head of the one in charge who you said he's no more. Uh, did he confirm that? Was there any confirmation that uh, such amount were not given to those two people and that it was a wrong, uh, wrongly captured in the report? As he is passed on, as at now, the current management that took over pursued all records to that effect. But since he's dead, the only option was to freeze his accounts. So that is how far. We have taken action on this. Okay, so the purpose, what was the purpose of account of the disease? Because that was the state, uh, what, had, what had been stated in the report, we thought it's appropriate to also um, take that step to ensure that if indeed there's any money sitting in his account, that could be used to defray the costs mentioned. Because one, he wasn't around to defend. And then also, that was the only option available if indeed he had taken any IOU like that. So, after freezing the account, uh, did you see, was there any sufficient or sufficient fund in the account to ensure we did not receive any response from the um, the bank. But I called the lady there, and he told me that unfortunately, we did not receive any official response, I should say. But then I received a verbal communication from them indicating that he actually owes them. So they are also looking for him. So they don't even have any pennies sitting in his account to be able to defray the costs we have indicated. So it's it means that the state has lost this amount. Is that so? Mr. Chairman, we are still uh, doing our best, thinking through to see how we can um, get to the bottom of this situation. So for now, I can't say that that is the end of the matter. From your response, it clearly shows that there's no hope in retrieving such amount for the state because if two have denied the rest that will also uh, will be around two of them have passed on how do you intend uh, to the steps that you are taking what do you want to achieve from those steps and have you also uh, relayed these steps that you are taking to the auditor general and what was their response to the steps that you are taking? 
evidence from the audit, I'm referring to external auditors, could really help us to be able to get to the bottom of this and then we would now go on further to ensure that if indeed that is the case, that even those who are denying actually took it, then every legal means possible will be employed in ensuring that we get this money back to the state. So are you assuring the committee that you are going to do everything to recover this money to the state? Yes, Chair. Mr. Chairman, uh, he's making a promise. Mr. Chairman, he is making a promise that this money, he will do everything to recover them. So we are hoping. I'm not sure that promise can be fulfilled. Can you recover the money from? Those people who are denying, what okay, are, we will do our best. What are you doing to, we need to liaise with the auditors who have come up with the funding, that they have record to prove that these people have taken the IOU. So if they cannot deny, and that should be the end. So that's one. The accountant who have passed one, can you get the family? in order to retrieve the money from, from them. So, we, Mr. Chair, we pledge to do a follow-up on their family to see how far we can go. Uh, sir, this audit was done in 2017. You've had over four years. You couldn't get the money. And now you are coming to tell us that we should give you the time and you can get the money. So you want another four years? If you couldn't get it in four years, how much longer do you think, how much time do you think you need to recover the money? Since we took over, various steps have been employed, such as even writing to the then director to perhaps assist us. So having exhausted this first line of action, we want to go back and then sit down again and then employ other alternative steps and actions. Yes, so ever since we took over, like I indicated, we have been um, doing our best. So we think that there should be other alternatives, and that is what we are pledging that if we think we should still pursue this money, then we will employ other alternatives besides what we have done so far. Um. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm a bit curious to know at what point this is written off, or what's the process, especially for the dearly departed. Chairman, if I may assist uh, the director. The challenge uh, he is having since he took over the organization is getting the um, documents and the source documents from the um, auditor general's files. For example, the fourth person is named as Amwa, 470. They have a difficulty telling who that Amwa is. Even for the person who is deceased, um, if they're able to get that source document, then they can serve it on the estate 
of this deceased person, even though they've taken steps to freeze the account of the deceased person. Even for those who are denying, if they're able to get the source documents, then their denial is not enough. Then some uh, legal action can be taken to retrieve uh, those amounts. And so uh, the expectation is that the Auditor General's uh, uh, files uh, will assist in getting the source documents so that there will be a follow-up. You will notice, Chairman, that even in the second matter, it is again of similar nature. They have written to the Auditor General's Department requesting for uh, those details so that they can uh, do the follow-up. Now, representatives from the judiciary also made an appearance during the interrogation. It came to light that a cashier at the Chief of Praso Magistrate Court in the Central Region embezzled over 70,000 CDs of court proceeds over a three-year period. He was declared wanted by the committee. The, your budget, there are locations for monitoring to all the courts that we, we approve for you. So... If the auditor's report is stating that between the period of August 2016 and December 2017, a cashier at a district magistrate court at Pifupras uh, uh, actually collected monies out of services rendered by the court or, or judgment debts that judgment debtors have come to pay and didn't lodge all and it took an audit to reveal this it's troubling very very troubling especially when the registrar as administrator of the court is supposed to ensure daily bankable amounts collected so it means for one and a half years the registrar also went to sleep so of course when you are in Accra then you suspect that the two of them may be conniving and so my point is this in addition to recovery this is a crime so even though he may he may he may the cashier may might have absconded maybe a fugitive of justice have you reported the matter to the police and if so what is the status did you also report only the, the conduct of the cashier or the registrar as well because if you have that suspicion, because complaints are made to the police based on suspicions of, of a commission of a, of a... Because I don't get the opportunity again, so I'm loading the question. You know I have a special interest in how the judicial service works well. We always fight for uh, better locations for you so that you can improve upon your service delivery to enhance justice administration. So things like this, um, it worries some of us who are your advocates. Thank you. Honorable Chair, thank you. Uh, when the incident happened, we rightly reported to the police. The officer was placed on interdiction, but he was granted bail and he absconded. So we reported to the Chifu Praso police as well as the command. But the registrar was not held responsible because the cashier admitted that he was wholly responsible for the refund of that amount. Yeah. So he refunded that a portion, 148,000 out of the 220,000. 
leaving the balance of 71,000 that he failed to respond and absconded, Honorable Chair. Chairman, thank you for the opportunity. In fact, uh, in your submission, you said uh, you, you reported the matter to the police and then you have been making follow-up. So when was the last time you checked up with the police on the, the status of uh, the person who has absconded? Honorable Chair, early a week ago, we contacted the Cape Coast uh, Regional Office. So is there any hope? Um, I know, uh, they told us that the, their efforts are still futile because they still can't locate him. That he didn't, he didn't push any ball. Now, uh, on the story of um, the management control you have now instituted, and very elaborate, and if we really follow it, it will help us. So this was 2017 audit. We are in 2022. So there will be, let's say, 2021 audit available. So if you look at it this year, we will not have cases like this, based on what you said. Honorable Chair, we now, uh, with the monitoring, as and when an issue comes, we immediately take steps to recover the money. I'm telling the committee that uh, if you look at the 20, if we have to sit on the 2020-2022 audits, we will not have cases of revenue collected and taken. Honorable uh, Chair, uh, being a human institution, we know there will definitely be some of these infractions, but the magnitude is what we are trying to reduce. And then if it happens, we will not have people absconding. We will make sure that the people are held responsible before they abscond. So, chairman and members will be reporting this uh, discussion to the plenary for approval. What recommendation do you have on this specific uh, outstanding amount of 60, I think it's not 61,000 plus, right? Or what is the balance remaining? Yes, 71,000. Yeah, Honorable Chair, we are still uh, with the police because we need the cashier to come and refund the money. So we have called the police and they have assured us so we will step up our efforts with the Chifu Praso police officer and then the Cape Coast police commander as well. So we, are, we should tell the plenary that uh, you are still making efforts since 2017 to date and that you will get the money? Honorable Chair, that, that is the option as it stands because the officer has he was placed on interdiction. He has absconded, so we handed over the matter to the Ghana Police Service. So, yes, for them to assist us. So that is uh, the course of action that uh, we have taken to retrieve the money. So, what is the name of the officer? What is the name of the officer? We want the whole world to hear. The the cashier. Let's have the name. We want the whole world to, to know. <laughs> Aisha will give us the name right. of the officer. Chairman, probably he's somewhere hiding. If we, 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 it's live on camera, people get to know the name. They, will, they may assist us.
Yeah, so we need on, to we need to know the name. Honorable Chair, uh, the name is Clemens Animabo. Animabo is spelled Clemens. Clemens Animabo. Animabo. A N I M A B O. M. So you had representatives from the judiciary who appeared at the Public Accounts Committee of Parliament. That'll be all for this edition of Eyewitness News. The show was produced by Bevelyn Landon and Anas Sedu with technical assistance from Daniels Kwashi. City News, we speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-976-732 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and Twitter at City 973.